My dear amigos, welcome to the Inevitable Podcast. I'm your host, Pedro Soren. As you know, I'm a VC, author, and entrepreneur, also the founder and managing partner at Atman. Uh, we're a close community of founders and investors playing long-term games together. And as you know, my mission is to partner with inevitable people. As always, at, on the Inevitable Podcast, we tend to have inevitable people. And in this episode, you know, I had the honor of talking uh, to my friend, uh, Rodrigo Tejero. He's the founder of RecargaPay, or RecargaPay, depending on your English uh, or Spanish levels. Uh, but, you know, irrespective of that, RecargaPay is a leading mobile payments fintech in Brazil that has reached more than three and a half million monthly active users. He started the company in 2010, has more than 300 employees across Sao Paulo, Rio, Buenos Aires, and our dear Miami. Uh, Recarga Pay is currently EBITDA positive with a revenue run rate of over $50 million. They have recently raised a $70 million Series C, adding up to a total of about $100 million in venture financing. Some of their investors include Fuel Venture Capital, IDC Ventures, ATW Partners, Funders Club, where I started my career in venture, uh, FJ Labs, and a few others. Rodrigo is a serial entrepreneur and had multiple businesses in different industries. It's a fascinating uh, story. And in this episode, we walk through each step of his journey. I learned a lot, and I'm confident you will as well. So welcome to another episode of the Inevitable Podcast. I'm excited for a very excited for our episode because I know that uh, we we haven't spent that much time together, but I believe that we share a lot of uh, similar values and principles. And uh, and, I, and I don't know, there's just something that's like I know and I meet the people that are pretty similar in, in, in what I think it's important in life. And I'm certainly, you, know, you are, you know, one of them. So, well, thank you for the invitation. For me, it's a, it's a pleasure. I, I really don't do many of these podcast ever so and 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 if it's going to be talking about the history it's a long history of a lot of about a lot of stuff so uh, i think it's going to be fun and probably i'm going to learn a lot about just talking about these things <laughs> oh that's great that's great well i um I, i'd love to you know oftentimes like we start with that moment on you know on your journey as a founder which is not you know like the moment that you're you know starting uh, something like Ricardo pay and raise hundreds of millions of dollars. It's like that first time in your life that you make money out of like your own creation. It's like that energy of uh, the energy of, uh, of volition. Right. So basically um, you started earning money by buying and selling stuff in school. I love it. It's, it's how I started as well. So will yeah. you tell your story first? Yeah, yeah. So, so it was fun because like, when I was a teenager, I, I used to like, I had this, this format that whatever thing I would do, like go to a restaurant, I would try to calculate how much money they were selling. And, 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 and th I would go on an airplane and think, okay, how much are they selling all these tickets for? And I would just like brainstorm and just count stuff, you know, and and try to figure out what the business was behind it. And, 
And, and, and I realized that one of the things like in, in my experience that I could sell is I went to the U.S. a couple of times when I was when I was young with my family and I used to play Nintendo a lot and uh, games, right? Super Mario Brothers. Uh, I mean, you had Tetris there and, and, and things of sort on uh, Zelda. And in Argentina, it was extremely expensive uh, to buy uh, these games. It was mostly like double that you would get in, in the U.S., mostly because uh taxes when you imported stuff of that sort were super high so if you wanted to buy a new game instead of paying 40 bucks it would be like 80 or a hundred dollars in, in in argentina so i realized that look my dad was paying for the trip to the us and i said you know what i could buy some games and then go back to argentina and sell them and uh, so so i started like a very basic right i mean it was just our pure arbitration uh, and, and, and every time I flew, I like bought stuff and then sold it back home in, in a sense. That was like the, that I recall, like the, the, um, the, the first like business I, I, I did, which is very basic in a sense. And, uh, and I did a couple hundred dollars with that. And it was like, and then you started realizing taxes, how they affect countries and things of sort. And I was very interested in, in, in why countries grew, right? And this was like always concerning for me. Why do I have to pay more for this here? And uh, it's just cheaper over there, right? I love it. Yeah, it's funny. I um, even to this date sometimes I think about stuff like that. Even now, I just had lunch, and you know, I ordered it through like a pickup. Uh, it's I am a very I'm a creature of habit. So there's this place, you know, nearby here uh, in, in Brickles uh, called Rice, right, the little Mediterranean bowl. <laughs> I think I've ordered the same thing there like more than 15 times. But today I was busy, so I decided to like order through a pickup with Uber Eats versus actually going there. And I was like, why is it $3 more expensive? And now, you know, if you order through Uber Eats, even if you're picking it up, you're paying for Uber Eats's uh, revenue share. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so, and I think that I, it's interesting because as a kid, I was, I was wired that way as well. And I find that the best founders, you know, you, it's like this combination of a curiosity and this uh, almost an indomitable desire of um, to just make progress, right? Um, yeah, and, and also, I think there was one big issue I always thought was that if you just did like $1 every day, and you, and, and like everything that I thought, I just multiplied by 365, right? So if you just did $1 today, that's $365 at the end of the year. If you did just $10, it would be 3,600. If you did a hundred, you know, I just, and, and, and thinking about things of that sort. And, and then I would actually, I had this, this format where I used to go to, to, to lunch at school. And my dad would pay for, for the lunch in school. And, and I asked him, how much are you paying for that? And, and, and he said, I don't remember exactly how much it was, but I told him, look, give me that money and I'll buy my food uh, somewhere else. And he actually gave it to me and I, and I saved like half of it, you know, <laughs> and I said, that was another way of, of making money is actually saving money. Right. So, uh, early on also the issue of just not just building business and making a difference, but saving is also a big way of, of making a difference. If you can save like three bucks every, uh, every day, that's a thousand dollars at the end of the year and a thousand dollars at, at 13, I mean, was a big deal, you know? Yes. I love it. You're annualizing your allowance already. What's uh -huh. your, yeah. your allowance is <laughs> ARR. 
<laughs> or your uh, <laughs> it's great exactly. uh so and then and in 97 you open up an e-trade account with some of that money right yeah so so actually i did this business of arbitration and, and saving money i also like in 94 i was one of the first uh we were one of the first neighborhoods that had a cable modem uh, internet and uh, i actually this is also, in argentina this is in argentina yeah uh, the other thing I, that I did was started to sell uh, MP3s and and movies, uh, like burning them into CDs. So um, uh, that's something that I didn't, and that was very profitable business. I mean, it was I, I sold like for twenty bucks, and then you know it was for free. You could download everything, burn it, and and I would make a significant amount. Narrow, of right? Narrow burning room. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, uh, but uh, so. At the end, when I was like 18, I had like $5,000 I had saved in, in doing all these things. It's, it's not, not huge, but uh, it, it was meaningful. And, um, and, and, and as just an observer of Argentina and how so many years, you know, the country has been going down over the decades. I was very always very interested in many issues, but the one I got more uh, answers was just economics. My, my, my dad is a PhD in, 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 in the University of Chicago and in economics. And I would always be curious about multiple issues. But whenever I would ask stuff of, of politics or economics, my dad would be there, you know, uh, sharing his thoughts and, uh, and things of sort. So uh, I got to learn a lot uh, from that. And I early on, I said, look, if you try to understand the world through economics, then you should be able to predict what happens. Right. So. For me, the stock market was a way of saying, okay, I have an, a hypothesis of what's going to happen. So I should be able to profit from, from that in a sense. And E-Trade had just opened up and, and, and I was fascinated by, by the internet, right? I mean, this concept that from your home, you could sell to millions of people uh, stuff, you know, it was amazing, but you could also do it. You could start buying and selling stock from your home and, and things of the sort. So. I did a joint account with 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 my dad. I put those five thousand dollars in the E Trade account, and I started studying also economics that year in in, in Universidad San Andres in Argentina, and um, and it was a very uh, very particular time, right? It was this internet boom. It was like everything was was growing. You had crazy IPOs, uh, GeoCities, like I don't know, having IPO and the the, the, the the IPO price multiplied by six on on, on, uh, on that, that is a, it's a it's a Fred Wilson investment I think before he started a Union Square Ventures he, he's a, he's Steve Patternot and uh, and he's an actually uh, an angel investor of of of, of, of my company <laughs> I love it crazy and um, so so like for a year and a half I was just day trading uh, you know stocks. Uh, I was how how old were you? I was eighteen. I was eighteen at that time. I love and, it. Day trading at eighteen. So, but you, you, you I mean, um, you know, a lot of basically for me, you know, I identify who are the people that I think make sense to be on this show uh, for a multitude of reasons. But you know, Matt, our producer, does this like remarkable work on getting all of us ready. And one thing he has here on your notes is that. Your net worth went from five thousand dollars to a hundred thousand dollars. Were you eighteen when that happened? Yeah, so so I was nineteen and a half. So it took me a year and a half to go from five thousand to a hundred thousand 
in, in, and I said, you know, wow, I mean, this is it. This is what I want to do. Right. I mean, it was like, uh, <laughs> if I'm studying to actually make money, why don't I just do this uh, for a life? Right. So what happened? And, and for me, this was a, a very important turning point in, in my life. I started, uh, you know, doing riskier and riskier bets. Right. So, um, you taking started, margin, were you leveraging or, or? I, I leveraged a little bit, uh, initially, but what happened was that I started playing with, uh, uncovered calls. And, uh, and, and I started to be very aggressive on, on earnings days and things of the sort. And I, I remember one day that it was the earning call for Amazon and, and I, and I put a big bet, uh, uh, in, in, in some options for Amazon. And like in a day, I lost like 70% of everything that I had. You know, I went from a hundred thousand to, I said, if I got to a hundred thousand, I can go to a million. Right. So I said, <laughs> and, and I, <laughs> I went really aggressive on it. And I lost like $70,000 as I say in one day, you know, and it's like, wow. <laughs> that, and then and I, 19. <laughs> yeah. So, so then I started to think about it and I said, you know what? Maybe I just was lucky, you know, getting from 5,000 to 100,000. And I started to rationalize it like, look, this has been just an incredible boom, you know, in these last couple of years. And probably like anything that you would bet on, it would go up. And, and I said that, look, maybe I'm not playing this right. Maybe I have to start my own company and then go to the public market in a sense. <laughs> so I, I was just like testing stuff out, right? It was more like... It, it, you know, it, I did stuff, you know, I, I was curious and, and I tested things out and, and I said, okay, so I believe that I don't have enough information uh, to actually make the best calls. I need, I need to learn more and, and, and things of sort. And I said, you know what, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll just never be, uh, have the information. I mean, I started thinking maybe there's insider uh, information people have. Uh, for certain things. And, 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 and I, I kind of decided like, you know what? I'll keep those 30,000. And, and I stopped investing uh, at that time. And, and so this was like, uh, 1999. And then I started thinking what internet company I could start. And, uh, at, at that time, uh, for me, the only company that made sense was a marketplace. Uh, was like an eBay, right? Uh, it was the, 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 the quintessential, uh, I think, uh, business model that just made a lot of sense in, in, uh, from, from day one in, in the internet, you know, buying and selling stuff online. It was just extremely efficient. And, uh, I was still studying in, in, in school. And, um, I had actually, when I was day trading, I actually did a, a, a site called freedom to invest dot com dot ar which if you see it i mean it would be very similar to what you see today in finance.yahoo.com I, I did a website where you had uh, you you had all the the ticker quotes you have news feeds uh, you had um graphs and and, and and everything one single place and that site appeared in la nacion which is the most important newspaper in in buenos aires and I had two names. It was freedom to invest in English and it was losmercados.com.ar. And it actually appeared in La Nacion. And, uh, and I was just using it as a, as a resource for me. 
And what was interesting is that somebody picked it up and actually called me. And uh, this was a very well-known uh, investor and architect in Argentina. And once I got together with him, we were talking about stocks, you know, about uh, eBay, about Yahoo and, 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 all, and GeoCities and all these different uh, companies and models. And it was fascinating. I was very young at, at that age. I was on 19 or, or something. It was or 20 already. And he told me, look, I have my, my daughter that is coming from Harvard wants to start a business and his boyfriend, which comes from Brown uh, also, and they want to start something out. And I think you should meet them. And, um, and you, you coded the, 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 the entire website or. Yeah, it was just basic HTML. You know, it's very basic, uh, very basic. I, I learned a little bit, you know, you could copy paste and, and do, um, but I, I could manage, you know, I, I could manage with some code with, I had FTP files, uh, FTP, you know, that you can uh, upload and download uh, files. And, and yes, but Dreamweaver. Those are Dreamweaver, man. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I used to use it. That was like magic for people that didn't know much. <laughs> uh, definitely. Um, so I, I, I get to meet this guy. He presents me his daughter and his boyfriend. And, uh, and this investor puts like $500,000 into a startup and they invite me to be part of that startup. But they hadn't decided. This was like early 1999. It was probably like May or something like that. And I was still studying. It was my third year in, in economics. And, uh, but I was fascinated by, by all of this, right? So um, they, they, they give me an offer to, to work with them. I would be like the, 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 the product guy, right? And uh, I'm, the, I'm the person that knew uh, how, how a website had to be and uh, how you could generate traffic. And I understood the business models and, and things of the sort. And you understood the internet. They just wanted to be entrepreneurs. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can understand. And then they, they, they just want to figure out somehow to do something. Right. And, um, and, and, and from there, you know, I, I decided to, to take this, this opportunity. And I actually decided to drop out of school, uh, which was crazy at that time. Uh, yeah, I wonder how your PhD father responded to that. No, look, I, I, I had never seen my dad so disappointed in, in, in my life. I mean, and my mom, it was, my mom is like, it was his eldest uh, boy. I mean, I have two uh, older sisters, but I was the, the oldest boy and I had a, a um, a brother and for her was like, what? You're, you're not going to have a, a university title. It was like the worst thing that could ever happen, you know? And, uh, and, uh, but I just felt, you know, it wasn't like, I, I learned a lot of economics on my own All, through my dad, a lot of inspiration through there, but I, I read a lot on my own, you know? So, uh, I just learned a lot of stuff on my own and, uh, and, and I just thought the, the, the university was just being, um, too mathematical on everything that we were doing in economics. And a lot of people just didn't understand anything about economics. They just really knew how to do really great models. And, um, and, and, and I thought that I wasn't learning that much right there. And, and, and I also realized that I was never going to work as an economist. I realized that 
uh, I felt that I had to do things, you know, I had to prove my hypothesis and, 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 and things of the sort. I understand. I, the only reason why I didn't drop out was because, uh, you know, I studied journalism. Journalism school is, is a joke. It's just so easy that like it's um, um, there was I mean, I was still like, OK, I'm going to finish this, you know, just kind of like. Uh, but, uh, I have a, a very specific view on, uh, uh, college in general. I think it's extremely important to go to college and start and live two years or so with people that are the same age group in this safe, semi-contained environment. We are having a lot of first time experiences as an adult without your parents there uh, should kind of help you in one way or the other. For me, that is extremely valuable. If you're not um, studying for a technical degree, so you don't want to be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer, um, that uh, and, and then I, I suspect that graduating is not as important as just spending those two to three years in this semi-safe bubble. And... Basically, because for the types of success that we look for as investors, I honestly don't see a correlation. There's none. So much about principle values, it's humility, ability to learn, desire to succeed, uh, recycle yourself and so forth. So I wonder for you, as you run, uh, you know, Recargape uh, in I don't know how many people you guys have in total and how do you think about recruiting and where did these people went, you know, where do they go to school or not and how important that is? Yeah, well, uh, today we have 350 people, um, mostly in Brazil. We still have, we have people in Argentina, Mexico, France, Barcelona, the U.S., things of the sort. Um, I... I definitely do not see the GPA of people. I don't think anybody does nowadays in in, in any uh, curriculum and, and the sort. I think it's after having interviewed thousands of people over the last twenty years. Uh, if there's something that I've learned, like which which is pretty interesting, is that if you if you interview somebody, but at the end you have a gut feeling that although everything looks great. But you just there's something that you don't know how to explain it, but it doesn't close. Be uh, that intuition is in, that gut instinct is incredibly powerful, and it goes both ways in a sense. Once you feel that it's the right person, and you don't know exactly how to explain it, after having done a thousand interviews, right? I mean, probably early on uh, I didn't get it, but. But now I, I, I value my intuition and my gut instinct on, on people uh, tremendously. And, um, and, and because I've been able to see that, you know, when I, I made uh, a ton of mistakes, uh, I used to probably look at schools. I would look at what they accomplished and things of sort. And then I realized, you know what? I think it's more of a personality traits that you have to look into. Does this person love to learn does this does this per person take ownership on 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 the things that that had, had that he takes does he have initiative you know it's like not just following one path but you know initiative on on doing different things in in a sense has he failed uh, dramatically and how has he uh, surpassed that 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 
that and, and responded to that. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it, does he, does, does he do other things besides just, uh, on, on school and work? Um, and, um, I think all those things in conjunction, uh, make for, for, for a big difference, I think, to how people were hired in the past, I suppose. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I would say that that gut feeling applies also in the business of investing. Um, you know, none. Of, I, I, I suspect that in the past seven years, I've invested in seventy-five different companies and the across multiple different firms. And that gut feeling, even when it, the person checks is all, you know, they check all the boxes, and uh, he or she could be incredibly charismatic. Um, almost uh, to a degree, uh, you know, it's like a, a seductive, right? Uh, mm -hmm. to, to actually work with that person. And, uh, but if your gut tells you that there's something there, I, it's it's always good to just uh, sleep on it and, and ponder and reflect. For me, it, it's so interesting. Sometimes I will go to bed with a few questions and I, and I kind of do these like night affirmations asking for an answer when I go to bed and then I wake up sometimes and I have the answer. It's kind of interesting. Well, that, that is something also that I've learned. I mean, I, I, it definitely has happened. I mean, for any important decision, I always sleep on it. I mean, um, 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 I think that the subconscious is working when you're asleep and problems that you have to resolve and things that you have to decide help you out having a good night's sleep. And, uh, and, and I think that's extremely important uh, and on, on big decisions. I think you avoid making those uh, hot decisions because you're emotionally charged and uh, to make a, and, and, and sleeping over it uh, is one of the most important recommendations I would give every, anybody. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I have only learned that by making a lot of impulsive, <laughs> incorrect decisions and then, you know, provide. Well, just, I, I, uh, yeah. I think... I take life, you know, like a laboratory, right? You're, you're testing stuff all the time. I'm, I'm, I don't believe in the word failure in a sense. You're just like, you have a hypothesis, you test it out and, and you see how it goes out. Right. And, and, and the more you can do, the more you learn in a sense. Of course, you can read books and you can have learning from experiences from, from, from other people in the store. And, and that's very useful as well. But that iteration process is, is, is critical. Uh, for yourself as well and and, and trying to learn and, and trying to have these pattern recognition afterwards after having done many of these that, that are crucial and not feeling bad for that right just just keep on going you know yes well that's the best definition why you know you have we all have this uh, Silicon Valley ethos of accepting failure you know failing sucks but it's so much more about how you respond towards doing enough tests with enough determination so you get it right at some point. Yeah. Um, because it's not pleasant uh, to make mistakes, but you, you must you know, pick yourself up again and, and, and continue. Um, so, you know, you, there was, and then you were at this company, right? So going back to your story, so the yeah. Harvard Brown folks and so forth, and you've got the company raised a little bit of money. They, you joined as the, as, as their product person. Yeah, so so in that business it was like at mid nineteen ninety nine, and uh, I drop out of school and, and I start working uh, with these guys. There were two, so we're three, 
and this investor puts like half a million dollars and they start brainstorming like what business and i was like marketplace i mean it's no brainer right and and at that time uh, a whole bunch of marketplaces like pop up you know uh, actually at that time around there mercado libre is launched by marco halperin the uh, remate also from alec oxen for and like a hundred more uh, marketplaces were launched uh, uh, around that time so by the time they were discussing this everybody's like no but Already everybody's doing that. You know, it's like we got to figure something out. So something different. And and they came down with the idea of doing uh, a marketplace, but for Latin American art. Which I thought it was like too niche. I mean, for the, for that, for, for I mean, it's like over 20 years ago. And I don't think today you have the market for that. It continues. It continues to be very niche. If I've gotten that now over email, I'd be like, Oof. yeah. And 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 the and the company was called Turas, and uh, and that business lasted like for six months. At the end, uh, you know, uh, we had hired like I don't know, fifteen people in total. Um, there was actually the CFO today of Mercado Libre used to work there. Uh, he was he, Pedro Arndt, uh, and, and, and the team, I remember that time, was fantastic. I mean, all the people there went out to do uh, very, very accomplishing things in, 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 in Argentina and elsewhere. But, but Pedro was super smart, uh, I remember he, uh, back then, and uh, he was more in charge of doing the business model at that time. Uh, he was doing the whole presentation and everything. Like before, you had to do a business plan. Remember, like twenty years ago, there were the today you have like ten slides. You know, it's ridiculous in a sense, right? But before it was like you actually had to work and do a deck, like a hundred pages of your business model. And he was in charge of doing that in the business. And uh, so he eventually went to Mercado Libre, and this business. Uh, Closed up by the end of 1999. I actually left like a month before. I, I just sensed like this is going nowhere. Uh, and um, but but the good thing is that uh, what was interesting is that in one moment, as 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 um, as the person in charge of product, I had to hire designers, right? So um, I, I remember I interviewed 40 graphic designers, and nobody had a clue about like website design. Everybody was doing Flash at that. I remember at that at, at that time. Flash. I don't know if, if you were there. And I, I uh, have I have done a lot of uh, rendering and exporters uh, in, in Flash. My first job with the internet has already been um, automated by algorithms. I guess this is how old uh, we are. But yeah, I used to uh, render um, uh, art uh, and upload the Java uh, JavaScript code on, into ad servers, and we would have to learn a little bit of Flash through that, so we could program, you know, banner ads. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, it was it, for a moment it was used a lot for banners and things, but the problem with Flash was that it was heavy, and it, and, and and it wasn't very intuitive when you entered a website. It was all Flash. It was like. What you had to learn every single website. You have to learn like, okay, where do I go? You know, so uh, I was more into making very basic, very minimalistic designs uh, with with very lightweight uh, websites and things of the sort. So eventually, we found one person that 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 was that had very very was very minimalistic in the design and things of the sort, uh, uh, which. 
at the end of that year, actually became my girlfriend. So I worked like for, for six months beside her. And, and, and that person actually became my wife, which is today my wife. <laughs> Still. <I love> <laughs> Uh, so, so I got, I got something very important from, from, from that initial startup. But from then on, I never worked in any other, anybody else's company. It was always something that I started. I see. Did you have this like indomitable, like desire to do things a certain way and little patience to potentially negotiate with other people because you had, maybe some more experience than them and you knew that that was the best way or, or ultimately like what led you to say, look, like I'm going to be a full-time entrepreneur. And I, I, for me, at least there was a very clear moment where I, uh, I realized that. I, I think the moment was that by understanding how a startup was from the inside and how the decisions were being made and things like that, I said, I actually could do this. I, I, I felt I had, I, I would have never thought beforehand that I could start from zero and build something. But having been in that six month process and realizing how decisions were made and, and, and understanding what the, the, the issues were and things. So I said, you know, it doesn't seem like brain surgery. I think, I, I think I could pull this off. So it was more about gaining some confidence in myself and realizing that I could pull it off. And, and since I had been online since 1994, it was already six years in the internet. I had, I had done websites. I understood. I realized by interviewing a lot of people, the amount of ignorance there was on, uh, on the internet back then. I mean, re people really didn't understand much and investors even less. So I would see entrepreneurs being funded by, by people that were coming in from MBAs. And, and, uh, and, and just because of the title that they had, they would get money, they, they would receive money, but they really didn't understand uh, how to generate traffic, uh, how to design the, the, the websites, which, which was not trivial back then. Even the back end. I mean, before you had Amazon Web Services, you got to, you had to know how to, uh, have servers, how, how to scale them and, and, and things of the sort. And, Back in the day, you had to have a database that would probably cost you like a million bucks. If you wanted to have Oracle, uh, you would have to spend an insane amount of capital for for databases back then. Today, you know, you, you use MySQL and you put it in 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 in, in Pohres or things of sort, and you put it in AWS and, and it's done. It's, it's it's completely trivial today, but it wasn't back then. And so I realized I could I could pull it off, and I also saw how they would pitch to investors. And I was in those meetings and, and I would understand that investors most didn't have a clue. They were just like, okay, the internet, it's something important. It's going to scale. Okay. I want to be there. But I mean, it was like throwing money at uh, people that had no clue. I knew them. I mean, they, everyone, everybody was trying to figure it out. Right. And, uh, yeah, I, I think, I mean, what that, but that quote is so important because I think that, it, you know, it's that moment where you have self-confidence that you understand that, you know, at the, at the other side, you have another person that's also trying to figure it out and hopefully doing their best. Um, you know, my, my first month in, in venture capital. So I worked very hard to get the job at, at Funders Club at FCVC, uh, with no credentials, right? Like I, you know, technically I beat the kids from Harvard and Stanford and, and then, when I was there for a month, 
I was, I was just like, all right, I got to win. I am going to fucking destroy. I'm going to crush it. And I would arrive before everyone else would be the last person to leave. And every weekend I, I was there studying, studying. And then it got to a point where you start doing deals and you source companies and, and you realize it's like, oh, there are so many people in this market that, I mean, they just don't know what they're doing. Or from the outside, it looks like these investors are geniuses and they're like brilliant people. But at the end, there's just a lot of uh, smoke. It's mm -hmm. insane. Yeah. And then, and that's what gave me the self-confidence to say, look, with enough luck and determination, I can actually be good at this. Um, and and I, I would add in something that you said is that not only was that growth and self-confidence for this, but also was so hungry of proving that the decision of dropping out was worth it, that I worked my ass off for years and years. Uh, so even when I, when, I, when I went into this company at the mid of 1999, I remember I would go walking from my home to the bus stop for 30 minutes. I would take a bus for 10 minutes, then a train for another 40 minutes, and I would go get the subway for five minutes. And that's how I started my day. And I would go like 8, 8.30 a.m. And I would be the last guy out of the office. And uh, and I, I, my, my work ethic at, at that time was like, okay, this, is, this has to work, you know? So when it didn't work the next six months, I was like, shit, you know, I, I, I dropped out of school. Uh, this didn't work. You know, it's th that mindset that, okay, maybe my parents were right. I shouldn't have done this, you know, and, 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 and instead of uh, accepting that, I doubled down. I said, you know what? I'll start now my business. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love it. But I think, I mean, I'll you them wrong, you know, <laughs> this is not, but, but I think it's great. I, you know, in, in, in a few different uh, ways. And the first one is just this ability of understanding that it's very like, the earth, I mean, people have better skills than others, but ultimately, like, life is an equal playing field for the most part. And when you realize that, you know, there, you know, the deltas between people aren't that significant, if you're playing at a, you know, maybe if you're like Michael Phelps inside a pool, right? And then you got to train a ton, right? You're not yeah. going to try to, I don't know, be a swimmer, a professional swimmer, and try to, you know, I don't know, pilot a plane. It would be a little tough, but. If you're at the right environment, meaning working, that's, that's, I think, number one. The second thing that, that, that you've mentioned that I think it's so important is the skin in the game with alignment of interest, which is basically you burned the, the, the entire island and you set sail on the boat, not looking yeah. back. And it doesn't matter where you're going to stop, you'll keep on going. Um, yeah. And um, forcing yourself at, to be in that position at the reputational level, both tangible and intangible, is a mm -hmm. super powerful driving force, right? Mm -hmm. No, definitely. And and I think mm -hmm. it is. It's also you know there there's stepping tones, to, uh, stepping uh, uh, moments where it's building that self confidence. Also, right? I mean, I, now, now that I recall, I mean, going back, you know, I, I really never talk about these issues. So something that came up right now is that um, in the first year I was at the university, um, I, I, I did a program called Junior Achievement. And there, there was this uh, business simulation that you would do online. 
Um, and uh, you would have to decide, and it was a simulation, and you had to have a team, and you would compete first in Argentina, and then it would be a global competition and things of sort. And I thought it was like, it was kind of like a game. You know, I used to play a lot of uh, uh, strategy games. I used to play SimCity, Age of Empires, and things of sort, and I would play like for hours. You know, I, I could be in Civilization, yeah, for 10 hours and, and just like like that, you know? And I just love those games. And so this game was about, you had to define like five things, the, the price of your product, how much investment you would do in the product, um, how much marketing, how much uh, research you would spend on and things of the sort. But bottom line, what happened is that this competition, it would work for eight weeks. You would have to make a decision on pricing in, uh, every single week and you would compete with other eight teams. And, uh, and, and I won in Argentina. I became the, the, the company that, that beat everybody else. And with that, uh, I competed with 500 teams around the world. And the final was in Japan with eight teams. And, uh, and, and I actually, and I actually won that, 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 uh, that, that, that championship in a sense from it was junior achievement and, and Harvard association that had built this. And, and that really gave me like, wow, I can actually compete at a global level. And before that, I was always like, my sisters were always very disciplined on everything that they they were always like the best students. I was never the best student. I was like good at the stuff that I liked and just like average on the things I I didn't like. I I would just like pass, you know, and, uh, uh, but the things I really liked, I, I could, I would go full blown. My sisters would get like everything awesome. You know, I was like, fuck, you know, I can't do that. I don't know. I don't have the discipline to do that. But when I realized that I could actually compete uh, at not only like my local level, that gave me another sense of maybe, I, I think that gave me the, the chance of actually dropping out of school, of saying, you know, maybe uh, this is a way I can, I, I can prove also that I can compete in a sense uh, with uh, other level uh, people. So uh, I don't know, that just came up to mind right now. Uh, it's, it's, been a long time yeah. no, but these these moments are very important it's like i think that's you when you realize the type of results you can get in life when you really throw yourself with your mind and soul into a project to its fullest extension and you give it all uh and then when it comes back with a, it's just a very good reinforcement mechanism um, I, I, you know, I, I had to even control myself. Like I, I've been to the hospital twice, like for like panic attacks, because I was just so addicted to that feeling of like, you know, now I, I'm, I live a far more balanced life. Thanks to, you know, meditation and yoga, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but, but, but it's interesting. So, um, and then, you know, so then you had, uh, after that, is that when you did Tarjetas Telefonicas? No, so actually, the the first business I started there in in two thousand, uh, early two thousand was, um, so I was tracking the market. Twenty still. years ago, that's crazy. Yeah, it's so just go by so fast. I was still tracking the the, the market, and there was a company called MP3.com that had IPO'd in the Nasdaq, and it was worth eight billion dollars. And 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 my thesis was, why don't we do this, but for Latin America? It's like you have like seven seven percent of GDP of the world is here. So look, we we at least a five hundred million dollar opportunity, right? Uh, you have uh, here in your in 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 our doorsteps. 
So, and, and I thought it was a really good solution for independent bands. Uh, so, you know, it's people could promote their music through a website and these bands would yeah, actually you Spotify like 10 years earlier, basically. Yeah, but it, it's more like then MySpace actually, it, it, I actually pursued this, this route. But in, in the year 2000, internet penetration in Latin America was 1%, 1.5%. There wasn't AdSense. There wasn't anything. But we reached like 25,000 fans at, at that time. And well, I, I remember after the BBS times when you still could, you know, you'd have to like go online later in the evening so you would save some money. And, uh, you, you know, I remember using uh, Netscape. <laughs> and, uh, you, and you kind of, you ran out of stuff to do on the internet, which is the opposite of today. Like maybe you check your email, you read some news and... You play a little silly game and it all felt so different. But then, you know, you would, right? Like you would run out of stuff to do on the internet, which is insane to think about. Today. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I used to connect to the BBS in, in Argentina, but that was probably earlier. And in 2000, I think there, I had cable and there was a little bit more stuff. AOL was the, the, the king at that time still, which was kind of crazy. It was a closed loop. Uh, business, but but look, we launched this business and and we raised three hundred thousand dollars. We raised it basically going to one lawyer that was investing a lot in different internet companies and and, and two other and one of them was the previous investor from the other company. And uh, do you remember the terms? What I do remember and one huge mistake I did is one of the investors, which was the CEO of the previous company of Turas, he said, give me 25% and I'll, and I'll, and, and I'll help you raise capital and, and I'll just give you advice. And, uh, that was the worst. <laughs> it was like, it was like free equity for, for nothing in return, basically. And, uh, I, 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 I did the same fuck up for my first company. I raised $50,000 for 30% of the company. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, I mean, looking at back, I mean, there was, there was nothing you could like read that anybody could recommend anything to you, you know, like today people talk about entrepreneurship, entrepreneur, you know, like there's, there's so much, uh, best practices and things of sort. 20 years ago, it's like everybody's figuring yeah. it out, right? Oh, it's a massive signal as well, depending on like, if I'm looking at a company and they have these weird asshole or a massive cap table issue, I, it, the, the problem sometimes isn't, it's not even the problem is the fact that that individual got he himself or herself in that problem in the first place. Yeah. It means that that entrepreneur is not curious enough because there's just so much information out there. So there yeah. is, it's interesting also, right? With more information, it requires a higher level of critical thinking from founders and, and investors. And then, you know, there are certain things that you really can't make those mistakes, at least if you want to, you know, partner with, with, with very good people. But back in the day, I think we all made these mistakes, like the advisory, like uh, hoping that they're going to help you out. Then if you bring in somebody and you don't give them, uh, you just give them stock, but there's no vesting period. You know, that's the typical also mistake, uh, at least that, that, that I did also initially. But uh, so that business, like in a year and a half, I mean, it, it went to zero. 
So in the sense that I ran out of capital, I actually started launching some other sites that would generate uh, traffic. It was a humor site called Rejunte uh, that was, it had funny videos and, and, and images that were funny and people would share them and things of the sort. But a year and a half later, I just ran out of money. I had 35 employees and I had to fire everybody, right? So, um, so imagine this, right? So I dropped out. I went to the first business six months. Uh, that failed. Then I started this business a year and a half later. I like put everything to it and, and uh, having to fire people that you promised, you know, and think it was like, it was the worst, you know, it was like two years of like, it was it was harsh. And the other thing was that as an economist, I knew that Argentina was was in serious problems. I mean, uh, I don't know how much you know about Argentina, but in 2001, we had a mega, mega crisis. Um, oh, no, I, I yes. I, I, Argentina, I mean, lap time as a whole. But Argentina is a case of its. I mean, each country. I think you, you know. I mean, if you look at Venezuela, and it's. I mean, it's tough. Uh, there are so many interesting opportunities there, and you know, we both invest in the region and build businesses in the region and so forth. But if the progress of the internet depended on politicians, Jesus, we would be fucked. Look, I remember in school when my dad would give me my lunch money, I would actually buy lunch in the morning because it was going to be cheaper than doing it at, at noon. I was in the middle of hyperinflation. So it was better wow. it was better to buy my food in the morning than to buy it at noon because prices changed wow. that quickly. Uh, wow. So it was like a, I, I would save money if I, I, I bought everything earlier. And uh, sometimes I wouldn't buy more for during the rest of the week because uh, the, the, the hyperinflation is crazy. I mean, it's something, it's a daily changes in price. And, uh, and you know, entrepreneurship is, is, is hard. Building a company is hard. But when you ha actually have currency issues, tax, I'm like, the whole thing is quicksand. So I think entrepreneurs that, that, that have built stuff in Argentina have had, uh, like in expert mode, you know, and, and, and so the, the, the need of a, a adaptation and, and, and extreme situations prepares you to a certain extent to to really hard uh, circumstances i think it's good in a sense of of, of practicing and uh, just uh, and, and then competing in other markets but sometimes when it's only about solving like stupid stuff that should already be resolved with time it's it's also uh, bad uh, because you don't dedicate so much time to 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 company building you're more about just surviving you know uh, things that are completely trivial in, in other countries. Yes, but with this resiliency, the Ghana, right? Like for me, uh, if I had a cyborg, a founder, you would have the self-esteem and the suspended disbelief of an, of an Argentinian. Uh, having gone to the Israeli army, Mm -hmm. uh, parting in Brazil, educated in the U.S. That's like the best <laughs> cyborg. <laughs> oh, man. Survival, survival in Argentina is a big issue, man. I mean, and you just got to figure it out. Yes. Um, and then, um, so, and you, and you know, you were, when was uh, 2002? So, like, you, you still, you know, you're not giving up. You're like, I'm not getting a job, right? I have this, this, this saying that's like, if everything went wrong in my life, I'd be helping sell more deodorant at like Unilever or something like that. 
Yeah, so 2000, so I started in early 2000, this business, a year in, you know, you had early 2000, the NASDAQ crashes, right? So the, the market uh, goes to crap, basically. And by the end of the year, I was like, wow, I have this business really hard to monetize. The market is still not there. Big believer in the internet, but, you know, very small penetration still in Argentina and the rest of Latin America. So I start thinking, okay, if this business doesn't go out and the economy in Argentina is going to tank and, and I failed with this other business, with my business and, and, and things are so it's like, I want to run from here. And I said, uh, you know what? Maybe I should go back and hit the books. Uh, maybe after these two, it's a signal that, that I should go back and, and, and study. And, uh, and once this business goes um, out of business, I have to fire all these people and things of sort. I asked my dad, you know, uh, you know, I failed. You know, I, I, I just can't manage this. Uh, but I want to finish school. Would you pay for my school if I go to a top 10 business school in, 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 in the U.S.? And, and, and he comes back and he says, yes, if you enter in the top 10, I'll pay it, but you have to pay everything else. So he said, look, I'll pay for tuition, but you got to pay everything else. I said, okay, done. So I apply and, and my girlfriend back then, my wife today, she said, and we were just going out for a year, uh, a year's time, right? And I asked her, would you accompany me to the US if I were to study? And back then she's like, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll go, right? I'll go. So, but she said, it can't be anywhere cold. So, yeah, so no when, San I Francisco. The, when I see the top 10 business schools, it's no like Boston. Harvard, Warden, I mean, no everything was in cold places except for USC, University of Southern California. So yes. I actually apply only to USC and uh, I, I do my SATs. I, I, I do pretty well on, 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 on those things. And, and I get, uh, I get into USC, right? Uh, so I remember this being like May, I think of 2001. And I tell my girlfriend, Hey, look, I'm in, I'm in, in, in sunny California and in, in, in LA. So you're coming, right? <laughs> and, and she was, and, and she told me years later, like she had said, yes, yes, but because it just seemed like far off, right? I mean, and making the decision of going to another country, not being married and everything was like, it was crazy in a sense. And um, so, so I make the decision to go and she, she, she at the end says, yes, I'm going, but she was working. She was a graphic designer in a very uh, successful business in, in Argentina called Exacta uh, at that time. Uh, and uh, so I go to, 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 to Los Angeles uh, and, and, and she follows suit. And I remember for a month, uh, we lived in, in a hotel called Vagabond Inn. <laughs> and, and it was for, because I had to pay, I had to pay for everything else. So, uh, so I could go to USC. <laughs> I love the name though. <laughs> but it was called back pond in. I mean, it was still like two blocks away from USC, but we stayed there for a month. And uh, my girlfriend didn't speak much English at that time. And, uh, but, but uh, we, we eventually started doing 
very early on, we started doing design and, and websites for other, for, for third for other companies, right? So we started making money, but at that time, nobody knew how to do websites and things that sort of, I mean, today you just click a couple of buttons and, and, and you have a website, right? Or a blog or things that sort of back then you had to like build the whole thing. So we would sell them for a couple of grand each. And that's how we, we, we started making money. But basically my decision was, you know what? I'm going to go with both feet and I'm going to like finish school. I'm going to get awesome grades. So I did the first semester. I got all A's and I said, this is boring like crazy. I mean, it's, it's, I had been a study economics in Argentina, which was very math oriented. I had run my startup of working 14, 16 hours a day and, and school was easy. I mean, I, it was not intense at all. Uh, I, I could I could cram all my subjects in like two, three days. And that's what I did. I would go from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. for three days. And then I would like have four days of free time. So once I finished my first semester, I said, I got to figure out something else to do. I, I got to finish school, but I got I to gotta figure out what else to do. So my girlfriend goes back to Argentina uh, to finish off some stuff. And she calls me one day, collect from Buenos Aires, and it cost me four dollars a minute, and I, and it, and it's and and it's thirty minute call, uh, over a hundred bucks a call, and like she she likes to talk, so I said I I cut the when the bill comes and like, shit, where I, I find a new girlfriend or a way to actually make these calls uh, <laughs> cheaper, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> It couldn't work, right? So what was really interesting is that with a sense of trying to figure out how to solve this issue, I actually found that there were these calling cards in the market that it would cost like one cent a minute or two cents to call to Buenos Aires. And it's like, how is this possible? And 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 I would go and 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 try to figure it out. And then I bought a few. And then I, I, I went to the back part. I, I went to the sites that were offering this and more than the sites, the companies. And I realized everybody was doing voice over IP. And uh, so it was the initial part of, of PBX boxes connecting to Internet. with oh, local. I remember. I worked for a company called Nimbus. Uh we, I mean, we had a, uh, a, 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 I think, I think we bought some media at uh, Sonico at some point. Yeah, I, I remember uh, Nimbus. Uh, I, I do yes. remember Nimbus. So, so basically, what, 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 I, what I did was, okay, I, I found this product. I said, I cannot believe how much cheaper it is. And I started to look online if there were companies that were selling this. I couldn't find anything. And I said, wow, we could actually sell these calling cards online. And, uh, and just the price elasticity there is just enormous. It's like four bucks or one cent. It was like a no brainer. And I thought like a lot of people didn't, didn't know that this could be done. And, uh, so what I did, I investigated like two, three months. I, 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 I really checked, like did a whole bunch of research. And, um, and I had, I had met some Ukraine programmer in Argentina in one of my, my girlfriend's, um, uh, company. And he, these guys, this guy connected me to two Ukraine programmers in Ukraine. And uh, these guys would charge like $250 a month for, for programming. And I said, wow, jackpot. I mean, I have no money. I mean, these guys are cheap. I mean, no brainer. 
to, to build stuff with these guys. Uh, but the problem was that they were in Ukraine. I was in Los Angeles. So it's like at 12 at night, they would like wake up. And uh, so I started doing a website with them. My, my girlfriend was the graphic designer and I had like 500 bucks and uh, to buy calling cards in, 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 you know, 7-Eleven or things of the sort. And I would come back to, to my home, scratch all the calling cards, uh, and, and then put the pin number and access number in a database and, uh, and, and, and then put that online and see if anybody would come and, and buy these things. Right. So, so what was interesting was that we launched this site like, mid 2002 and um and and like the first day we like sold like two calling cards wow you know we we started doing you know promotion seo more than anything else adwords i don't think was still in the realm so i think we were using overture uh, uh, oh, yeah. at that time which was then we bought by yahoo. yeah it was bought by yahoo and then they integrated it but they made a mess there so uh, google eventually like really took off dramatically with that but initially it was with yeah, they did better with the double click acquisition yeah 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 it was fantastic so um so first day like two calling cards fifth day we we're selling five hundred dollars of, of of calling cards like crazy i said like bingo man i mean we made it you know it's like there's a there's a i didn't even know the word product market fit but we had product market fit at, at that moment but uh, what I realized, though, is that suddenly, because I was approving all the transactions, you know, we had a, a very basic backend. I would be the guy responding emails and, 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 and everything when people wanted to buy something of a sort. But then I realized that there was one person buying everything. And um, I, I had like, I don't know, we sold like a thousand bucks in five days, but like 700 or 800 was just one guy. And I said, mm, this looks fishy, you know. So, and then, and then I realized that this guy was using a whole bunch of different credit cards, not, not even one credit card. He was using a whole bunch of different credit cards. And I said, shit, th this might be fraud. But, and, and I was like, but how can this be fraud if like the credit card company is actually accepting this transaction? They're, they're, they're accepting the, the number, the, the CVC code and, and things of the sort. But still it, it went through, right? So. At the end of the, I, 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 I completely shut down the site. A couple of weeks later, start getting chargebacks on all those transactions. So it's like I lost uh, 700 bucks plus $25 per transaction because that was the chargeback cost of, of, of doing this. So it was like down like 2000 bucks uh, on, on, on that thing. And the other thing is that I didn't even have any margin on the calling cards. I had like, um, Oh, you were charging cost or just no, like, basically? I would go to 7-Eleven buy face value, 10 bucks of one calling yeah. card and I would get zero margin. I, I was just testing if people would buy it. So I would make oh, no money. This was the test. Gotcha. With no yeah. margin. This was the test. So basically what happened is that once, once the chargeback started to happen, I started actually approving one by one every single transaction and try to figure out what algorithms we could build so these things wouldn't happen. So then if a person would come, I wouldn't allow multiple credit cards. I wouldn't allow 
uh, uh, X amount of transactions in a, in a certain day or a certain week, then uh, we, we started testing like where these transactions coming from, if they were connected through proxies or directly from, from home. So, I mean, from there, I, I tried to just figure out how, how to solve this. And, and basically it's a business that in, in three years, I worked absolutely every single day, weekends, nights, I would start working at 12 and finish working at 5 a.m. with the Ukraine programmers. And it, it became a business that, that came to be almost $10 million in revenue, very profitable. And, and then I was able to finish school. So I was like, you know, I did it. You know, I, I finished school. Here's the, the title for my mom. And uh, because that was, <laughs> that was the, the biggest incentive I've had. But I kind of like, um, you know, I was able to build a business, a very, uh, or organically grown. I, I had put like $10,000 into the business and grew it completely organically. And uh, so at that time I was working completely remote. I was working from home, from classes. I would go to class and if it got boring, I started working. I had a, a, a laptop back then and I had a team of customer support in Argentina and these guys from Ukraine in, in, in Ukraine. And that's how I built this business up to like 2005 or so. Awesome. And then um, it's interesting also that even before Sonico, you still launched like three other companies, right? There was Cumple Alerta, Tuvo Stal, Flodeo. Yeah. Urex yeah. is a machine. <laughs> <laughs> it's an iteration machine. But be, what's very interesting about these businesses is actually I built them in between 2002 and 2006 because it was a complement to Tarjetas Telefonicas. And, and how is that? When we were purchasing, uh, when we were doing marketing for the calling car business, we realized that it worked extremely well when we promoted it on e-cards sites. Because mostly an e-card site, you would be sending a greeting card to a friend, a family member, and... Uh, and you would say, hey, call me as well, right? Like here, Yeah, thing. so... If you're sending e-card, why don't you call me, right? So that's kind of what we we realized that that was working extremely well. And then we said, you know, instead of spending that marketing dollars in these in, in these companies, why don't we build an e-card site? And and we built two of the largest e-card sites at that time, which became Tu Postal and Tarjetas Buba uh, for Latin America. And they they got to have like 25 million e-cards sent in Christmas and New Year. It was insane. I mean, the, the volume that we generated with, with those uh, two sites. And it became a, an incredible business where the e-card site would generate traffic to uh, traffic and e-commerce business to the calling card business. And also we would do advertising because at the end, AdSense came up in about, not early, but later. And we would do like $100,000, $200,000 a month of advertising revenue. And uh, I had an extremely profitable business uh, that was generating e-commerce sales at the same time. And then this other business called Cumple Alerta, which is very similar to what Facebook is today, right? It's a, it's a system that alerts somebody's birthday nowadays. I mean, it, it's not much more than that. So it's, it was- I, Yeah, I miss a feature on that that I used to use all the time for e-cards. I would love to have it back. So if you have a product, now I'm being very self-serving in, you know, during the podcast, but this is something I do used to do a lot. So Facebook um, 
at some point, I don't use Facebook anymore. It's only for birthday reminders, but then, you know, integrate that with calendar. Someone should just do a high quality birthday app that is mobile first. And then um, I I used to buy coffees for people that I liked on their birthdays. Cause you know, like I think you and I, we live pretty global lives and we have friends all over the world. And then uh, it's a good idea actually. It, you know? It's, it's a very simple if, if, feature, very valuable. Uh-huh. Easy. That would be like amazing cash car. If anyone wants to do that, like I'd love it as just as a user, uh, you know, because, and then it, it's literally, I would buy them $5, a $5 gift card from Starbucks, but no one does that, right? Like everyone just like, they'll do the, like, because people stop calling now, right? They don't call, they don't do, like, they just send you a WhatsApp which is bullshit, you know? Um, so, and then I, I would like look at like, okay, maybe there are four birthdays today. So every day I'd spend like five, $10, but people remember, it's like, oh, you're the only guy that sent me a cappuccino. Uh, and, uh, that was immensely helpful just to, uh, you know, spread love and, um, people just remember that, you know, you care a little bit more than others. Uh, and, uh, so yeah, I miss it. And then, you know, the Starbucks, like that digital wallet gift thing that they had, they, they, they killed it. I don't know why. No, I, I completely agree. I mean, it's, it's, it's good to think about it. I mean, if you imagine Kublalerta got to the high point of 21 million registered users and 180 million alerts. So every single day we would send uh, a few hundred thousands of, of, of emails, maybe even a million in, in, in a day. And you would receive an email of your friend's birthday and it will tell you, hey, why don't you call him or why don't you send him an e-card? And so these businesses in itself and uh, um, like they, they pushed each other, you know, they leveraged each other and it, and it became a very uh, profitable business. Uh, again, completely uh, bootstrapped. Right. And, uh, and, 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 the, and, uh, and, and that basically takes me to like 2006 when, when I go to my sister's university, she with 18, she went to study at Stanford biology and um, I, I go to meet with her and, uh, and I was just curious. So what are you using? What, what, what sites and things are certain? She, she said, look, there's this Facebook thing, you know? And I said, oh, let me see. Let me check it out. And, but only people from Stanford can use it. She says, oh, wow. Let, 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 let me get a glimpse of it. And I thought, wow, this is fantastic because it had first and last name, photo profile, and you would share photos. And that was extremely unique. At, before then, everybody had like fake uh, names and nobody would put their photo profile. It was about anonymity, you know? Yeah, well, the, 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 the group chats that you would log on on portals, right? With, yeah. And just shout complete strangers. And we all had these like hidden wow, weird the nicknames. Remember, Lurk? Like, dude, what yeah, the fuck? Wait, 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 wait. Like, man, that's so funny, man. I can't, I, I had forgot, <laughs> I had forgotten about that completely. You know what? Merc was one of my first distribution platforms. I would just spam like my sites <laughs> in those channels. <laughs> I would go into channels. I would start chatting and then look, enter my site, enter my like, something like that. Wow. Yeah. No, and people would do it. It would work tremendously. I mean, there was this hidden trust, almost as if like we were all neighbors, right? Yeah. Because there were so there weren't that many people online, so you was like, oh, probably if you're online, you know, maybe you're you are a nice person. So like, you know, do you want to chat? 
It's this a pre-camera chat roulette. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah. Well, there were these Yahoo groups back in the day, remember? And, oh, and now, yeah, I remember, yeah. And now this reminds me also, when I started the, the calling card business, I would go to Yahoo groups of people living in Los Angeles from like Argentina or Spain. And I would start a conversation and say, look, I found this site where you can buy calling cards. <laughs> so, so I would use them to distribute, you know, my, my, my business. I mean, it was, it, it was for free and it was useful in, in a sense for those people. Uh, but wow, I, I forgot about that. But yeah, that's great. Um, so basically uh, I see nice. this uh, from my sister and, uh, and I said, wow, this yes. is fantastic. And my space. Um, was the, the king at that time. And Murdoch, you know, buys it for like $550 million. And I said, you know, there's something here. And I realized, look, with the calling card business, the e-card site and the cumple alerta, I actually have a, a massive social network. I have a social graph, you know, with the, with the birthday alarm system, I actually had 21 million registered users with their actual social graph, the people that they cared about. So I said, maybe with this, I could actually kickstart a social network in Latin America with all the, the, the users I have, but with the idea of not doing MySpace, but with the idea of getting people to put their first and last name and real photo profiles and use it to share photos. And why was sharing photos so important? Because back in the day, Hotmail would have two megabytes of space. And when I was living in Los Angeles, my mom would send me one photo and my email would collapse. So I really saw that the value add of Facebook was just being able to share photos between people that you cared about uh, among anything else. And then being able to find people with first and last name. And that was something extremely unique. And we actually launched uh, Sonico uh, in in mid 2007 uh which uh we basically um launched it and uh yeah it was probably like in june of 2007 and like in 6 months we had 10 million users amazing and uh, we were able to scale it dramatically and at that time we had sonico we had the calling card business the cumple alerta, the e-cards. We're doing over $10 million in, 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 in revenues and, and, and very profitable business. And I remember I went out and I, I, I went to talk with Marco Halperin from Mercado Libre and, and then also, uh, Ale Coxenfor from the Remate. And I told him that I wanted to raise capital, you know, back in that day in 2007. Again, it was not very common to raise capital. Uh, and, uh, I said, you I raised just, a lot for that time. It was 4.3 million, which that, at that time. Yeah, but that was my, my initial was, I'll just raise a million bucks. And, uh, and Alex says, like, I think you should raise more. Uh, but I said, look, I just want 10%, $1 million, $10 million post 1x revenue. You know, it's like, uh, and so I start getting in and understanding this game in a sense. Uh, so he said, look, you should raise more. And, and I, and I tell him, look, if I raise more, it should, it should be from a VC that understands product. And, and I told him, look, if you can put me in contact with Funders Fund, 
maybe I, I maybe I, I go through there. And he tells me, okay, I'll put you in contact with Peter Thiel and Sean Parker from over there. And uh, I remember that the 5th of December of 2007, I go with a whole management team and, uh, and uh, we present. Sean Parker's there. He was the president of Facebook at that time. And we were show- showing our growth curves like insane. I mean, the, I remember one day having 250,000 new customers in a single day. And at that time, it was just enormous. And... Uh, yes. I had a, I had a Sonico profile. I don't remember. You you had a Sonico profile. I did. And uh, and and at the next day, I we we they 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 said, okay, done. You have six million dollars at eighteen million dollar pre. Now I was fascinated by 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 that at that moment. I just couldn't believe it. And but the issue was that the company that we had built with the calling card business, the, the e-card side and everything, it was a structure where it was very efficient tax-wise. So it, it, it wasn't the typical Delaware type company. It was more like BVI with Panama and, and stock. And they said, you know, you got to redo this whole thing. And, uh, and I basically had, had problems in, 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 in getting, and well, building, you know, the Delaware uh, company is just like three days. But then when I wanted to uh, uh, change it, so Delaware was owned. So the Argentine company was owned by Delaware. Whole subsidiary, yep. Uh, the problem was that there was a strike in the in the government in, in Argentina, and I couldn't do that formally. So what happened was that for three months, there was a strike going on in Argentina and I couldn't get this formalized. And in the meantime, I had gotten some other angel investors to invest and some other VCs. But it comes to a moment where founders fund and everything, they say, okay, you have a done deal. Okay, so everybody starts sending their money and uh, and suddenly... Like there's like radio silence from from funders fund. It's like what's going on? I mean, we're we're receiving money and uh, but we're not getting any notice from 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 these guys. So um, so I give them a call and say, what's going on? Maybe you should come here. I fly to San Francisco from Buenos Aires with my brother, the CTO uh, of the company. And so so they pick up the phone, but they don't. Tell you like what's going to say fly here and let's talk in person. That was there. Yeah, answer. yeah, and uh, because there was just not 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 answering back in a sense, right? So we go over there, and uh, and at that time it was a very particular time in in Argentina as well in in, in early two thousand eight, where um, they had launched a law called one forty seven, which was basically charging. Uh, taxes for exporting agricultural products. And in, at that time, Argentina was appearing in CNN with people stealing meat in, in, in the streets. And they had done this tax of, if you want to export, we'll charge you a, 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 a tax, right? So when I go to the office in, in, in Founders Fund, they said, look, this is our first invest, this would be our first investment outside of the US, we've seen Argentina in CNN with all these with all these 
troubles. And now they're going to be charging taxes to export. Just makes no sense. I'm sorry, but we cannot do this investment uh, with you guys. We don't know what's what's going on in Argentina. We've never been to Argentina. And I remember that Peter Thiel at that time, they had this hedge fund, the, the Claridge Fund or something uh, of the sort, and they were betting against Argentina as well. So, um, and, and, and that's how I, I, I had that problem with the Founders Fund. But since the business was just skyrocketing, I was able to close all the rest of the investors. Some put more money and I actually closed 4.7 million uh, in early 2008. Great. Interesting. Do you guys still keep in touch? Now they are, you know, alongside SoftBank, one of the anchors here in Miami. <laughs> and the honest truth is no. <laughs> okay. Now that's fine. I mean, I think that that is such a painful situation for, for, for a founder. And I think it can go both ways because ultimately they also have their fiduciary responsibility. If they do something and the money evapor evaporates, it's crazy also. I mean, I'm not defending, I'm not taking a, a side. It's, it's a difficult situation. Um, and um, yeah, all right. So then how was that whole thing? I mean, that must be such a very exciting, right? Running it was the most successful uh, social networks, consumer companies, you know, at that time in the region, uh, you know, to a degree, you become a, a little bit of a local celebrity, right? Yeah, it, it was a crazy time. I mean, I it's it's just just about executing everything, and we're we're getting a lot of attention. Uh, I remember when we raised capital, uh, we uh, somebody called us from from CNN and said, "Look, we would like to interview uh, Rodrigo." And I was like, I had personally never done any TV interview in my life. And, uh, and I was like, okay. And, and, and they tell him, you should come, you should come tomorrow in the afternoon. I was like, okay, done. You know, it was all about like doing it now and things of sort. So I fly to Atlanta, uh, uh, at night, I, like that day, like two days before they tell me on this day you should go. I fly, I get there early and uh, I go to Atlanta to the CNN uh, headquarters over there. And I thought it was going to be a, a, a filmed, but it's actually live. So, I, and you know, I had never done this, and it was all like everything that was happening at that time was, you know, getting myself out of my comfort zone. And I definitely not at all was 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 something easy for me to do. And I, it was something that I was always pushing myself into. Okay. Let's do this. Even though it generates anxiety to me and things of sort, uh, I did it. And uh, and like that with a whole bunch of things. It was a very stressful moment, right? I mean, it, I, it was a tug of war of, of figuring out how to scale a business, figuring out how to continue on uh, building the, the tech team, uh, figuring out how to do all the, the, the branding and, and things of sort of the business. Uh, but um, it, it was definitely exciting. But going back to, to Sonico, so uh -huh. you ended up in 2014, you sold the company, right? You had about yeah. 55 million registered users. Um, did you, because I remember this is, um, 
I don't have firsthand knowledge on this, but I've listened, you know, to the folks that used to work at Facebook quite uh, like often. And uh, they had these strategies where they were coming in. And I mean, I remember in Brazil, at least where we had Orkut, right? Uh, yeah. They destroyed Orkut when they decided to come to Brazil. Yeah. So did you face those challenges or was it before Facebook decided to go global? Uh, basically, what was the whole journey? So you raised around, you continue to grow. Um, and, so, uh, you know, yeah. Yeah. So we raised around these $4.7 million in early 2008. The business just continued on growing very strongly. And, and, you know, network effects are very important and, and virality is very important in all these businesses and the sort. So, I mean, growth at that time was, was critical more than anything else. And, and, and getting to that network effect of, of, of having millions of users and, and, and very engaged and, and, and the sort. So, Actually, what happened like at mid 2008 is that I actually get a, an offer to sell the company. Uh, I, I, I was approached by, by three companies, actually. We, we got an approach from Google, from Naspers, and from Yahoo at that time. And uh, the, the, the numbers that, that, that were being shared was like around $150 million. And what was interesting about that time was that I, I was actually 80, I owned 80% of the equity at, at that time. And it's um, pretty meaningful outcome. Yeah. So I was like, it's a no brainer, you know? So, so, so basically on, on, so it was the moment where I, I had Yahoo, Naspers and Google interested in buying the company for about $150 million. And, uh, at that moment, I had a, a huge stake. Uh, almost eighty percent of the business uh, equity was was mine because I actually started the business really early on, bootstrapping the whole thing, and then I raised a little amount of capital, and uh, and I thought it was the moment to sell. So at that time, um, the board, the new investors, said, "You know, let's let's hire an investment bank. Let's hire." Uh, and, and I went to talk to Allen and Company and, and, and some other investment banks. And I remember Allen and Company at that time was trying to sell High Five uh, at the moment. So, but in, in those couple of weeks, what happened is that the market started to turn around. I think it was Burr Stearns that, 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 that went bankrupt or Lehman Brothers. I don't remember which one of those two, but, um, Basically, what started to happen was Nasdaq was starting to to crash, you know, and 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 these firms were like, okay, now let's wait and see what happens with the market, and the market just continued on going down and down and down until you know the the, the financial crisis of two thousand eight happened. So when you were asking me before what happened after we raised, well, we almost sold the business, and for me it was it was it was a no brainer. Because also the complexities of, 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 of building network effects and having a company such as Facebook that from Silicon Valley could ultimately build a better product and things of sort. So for me, it was important to, to, to do that. But with a financial crisis, I was, it, it was later impossible. So in 2009, with a whole crisis, uh, happening full blown. I was actually that year I was invited to Davos and I was actually a speaker and, and panelist in Davos. And when all this traditional media and, 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 and new media discussions were happening, like what was going to happen 
with 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 these issues. And uh, I kind of realized in in early 2009 that um, it was going to be very hard for Sonico to compete uh, with the likes of, of Facebook and the sort. I was seeing the global network effect that was uh, taking in effect. And mostly because also there was an aspirational aspect to Facebook. You know, people that maybe had Sonico or could and things of sort. Culturally, people would see like, oh, Facebook. Well, Facebook is for like people in, 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 in developed countries and, and eventually it became a better product. So um, 2009 was a hard year for me because of, of that realization that, that I had lost the boat in a sense of, of, of trying to do the, the VC, um, growth spurt, super speed and, 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 and raising capital and, 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 and selling the business. But, um, and, and it was, it was a hard moment. 2009 was a hard moment for me, realizing again that instead of having done the path of organic growth of something that was very sustainable, I tried to superpower uh, a, a product growth, uh, which was very risky, um, and uh, and just feeling that um, it was going to be very hard uh, to build a sustainable business uh, with Sonico. So actually, early in 2010, I I have to fire a whole bunch of people, and I decide that through all the businesses that we had that we should start and organize the company as a company builder. I mean, we had, you know, the calling card business, the Cumple Alerta, Tu Postal, Sonico, and, and, and we started thinking about other businesses at the same time in 2010. And, and at that moment, one of the realizations that I had was if we have the calling card business, which was the e-commerce part of, 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 of this whole combination of companies, and we had this Sonico that had massive amount of users, millions of users, what was the single biggest problem that we could solve in, in Latin America? And, uh, and, and for me, once really studying the market, we realized like, look, there's 600 million people in Latin America, of which there's 500 million phones, of which... 80% of those phones are prepaid. And of those, everybody's going physically to stores to pay for their mobile top-up. And I said, maybe we can sell these things online through a website and, and, and be something uh, very convenient uh, to customers, right? So, um, I mean, maybe I can come back to, to, to the story, but basically at the end, Sonico, we, we sold it for for not much money that we eventually use to just funnel more uh, capital into building uh, Ricardo Pay. I see. I see. But then when Match acquired you guys, did yeah. you pay back the investors? And you had this entity as well, which I think it's a function of the stage of when you as a founder, you know, were having your first decade long and how the market would operate, right? Today, because it's just so fast to start a company and raise money, so different. Um, probably like each individual product that you've had would have been a different company with like its own yeah. like little lifetime right? versus you throughout this decade. You kind of almost had like this conglomerate of multiple different yeah. businesses, right? So when you yeah. sold it, did you pay back your 
um, your no, investors we, or what? what we, is, yeah, we spun it off. We basically uh, spun off the business. We didn't sell the company itself. We 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 sold it for cash, but the same cap table was maintained. So what's what's kind of crazy also about the these last twenty years is that it's the same cap table since two thousand and two. So everything that we've done, we've done it through wow. the same cap table, but we sold and closed businesses with the same cap table. So the investors that invested in 2008, I still have them for recargo pay. That is very rare. And also, I think it's really interesting and cool because it's a good testament of your character. Uh, I, uh, I've been in situations where founders uh, will try to, you know, they'll try to fuck investors or, or they'll just try to like wipe people out of cap tables or, or, or the other way around as well. Um, if things don't necessarily go one way or the other, so I think it's uh, it's actually it's quite admirable, the fact that uh, that that's how how you do it. At least with a lot of the things that we do with Atman, you know, I always use that word funeral alignment, and it's always for the very long term because of the fact that after you know being in business uh, for less time than you have for about 12, 13 years. Today, I only do business with people that I care, right? Like mm -hmm. that I that I enjoy spending time with because yeah. it gets to a point where you have to make a little bit of money. It's not that yeah. much. You just have to make yeah. a little bit. And then you realize yeah. that life isn't about money at all. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I, I think it's really interesting that you have that. Look, I, I personally, I, I thought it was the the right thing to do and, and what I felt uh, that, that made sense. I'm I, I kind of feel kind of weird when people do a business, they dedicate a year, two years, and then they just, oh, it didn't work, and, and they close it. And they even close it with money in the bank. It's like uh, I, I've seen people that have, oh, I only have one year's worth of, of runway. I'm like, that's a ton of money. Are you money. kidding me? Uh, that's, that's a lot crazy. of money, exactly. I've been bankrupt for years, I mean, in the, I mean, literally in the business. And what I realized uh, over the years, it's that companies – uh, in, in a sense, don't go bankrupt. It's more about the founders giving up more than anything else. Uh, because if you're a founder, you have to figure it out. There's always ways of, 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 of turning it around in, in a sense. So at least that's my belief. And, uh, and of course, it's not that you can turn absolutely everything around, but thinking that it's, I think the easy way out is saying, okay, well, let's just close it and start something new. Uh, I, I think it's too easy. And um, I just thought that um, we were still going to use the same team to build anything new. So I thought it made sense uh, to, to continue having the same cap table uh, and, and the sort. That's great. That's great. And then in terms of, you know, you, where do you get the energy to never give up? Uh, I think being an entrepreneur, uh, in, in a sense, makes no logical sense because of like the amount of effort, energy, and and stuff that you have to to do and accomplish. Uh, but I think it's a it's a personality. I think it's something that I never knew that. Nobody in my family was an entrepreneur, uh, nobody that I knew in a sense, but I just felt the urge of, of doing things uh, with, uh, with 
my ideas, with building from scratch. And I just enjoy it. I mean, I, I, I sincerely just enjoy it. I, I feel at the end, also the, the amount of time I spend playing games in strategy games like Civilization, Age of Empires and things of sort, it kind of is in a sense, the, the same you're building. And, and I used to play in like expert mode and things like that. I was just find it really challenging. So actually it's kind of weird, but when things get more challenging, I, I just, it brings even more uh, energy to me uh, in in a sense. Uh, uh, I don't know if that, that happens to other, but it's something that um, uh, I, I kind of feel. I love it. Man. I also play a ridiculous amount of Age of Empire. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when, you know, it's like uh, uh, that when like you would have the guy collect little uh, like uh, plant something and he would say Zukanta. Remember, like I don't know yeah. why that this just came to my mind right yeah. now. <laughs> well, I remember the little, the playing. little. I would stop playing when 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 the sunrise would come up. I said, "Oh fuck, <laughs> I played all night." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it was really funny, and, and the little the little priest guy uh -huh. that would like convert you know, folks from the other teams yeah. and, uh, um, yeah, yeah, anyway, yeah. uh, so, uh, <laughs> so, 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 it's like you is, was Alvaro always with you and, uh, do you always, did you always have a co-founders or was it more of like a solo thing as you brought partners with some bigger participation, you know, your, your so, entire journey. If you until now. So I went from zero to one, uh, on my own, um, from 2002. Um, and, uh, so the building of the calling card business really started uh, once I reached like a million dollars in, in, in revenues, that's when, uh, that was like a year and a half after founding it, which I was doing it from, from, from university, right? I was, I didn't have no official office or anything. I had programmers in Ukraine. My girlfriend was the graphic designer. I had some customer support in, 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 in Argentina, but, um, I, I always wanted to actually work with my brother because we had actually done so many things in the past online, but he wanted to finish school, right? He wanted to finish a business school that, that, that he finished. And, um, so, but, but so, you know, you know, the company in, in Delaware, when I started in, in this business, the calling card business, I actually called it Clon Communications because between my brother and myself, we call each other a clone. It's not like a clone. Uh, and, and, and I, and I created the, the, the name of the business was called clone communications oh, because I said, we're going to work together. You'll see. <laughs> and, uh, and I actually, right after he finished cool. school business, I said, look, you're out of, you're out of school now. Come on. Let's, let's, let's do something together. I mean, with a business. And, and he started off basically. Uh, doing the whole strategy of AdWords uh, in 2003. And he did just like an amazing job of, of, of going very meticulous with very specific um, uh, keywords, you know, like call from uh, Los Angeles to Buenos Aires, call from Kazakhstan to the U.S. And, and he went very precise and we would bid for each one very differently. We would get how much conversions we would get for everything. So we had like thousands of, of, of lines of, of, with 
all the text different. We would A-B that he would do it. You know, he would A-B test the titles, the links, the landing pages, the whole thing. And, and, and at that moment, the business really like took off even faster. And, um, so from there, he eventually became the, the, the CTO of the company. He's always been, uh, very autodidacta and, uh, and, uh, he's just been amazing at that. And, and with time, um, he, he started receiving chunks of equity. You know, he kept on, uh, executing and, 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 and things of the sort. But for many years, I was just more of a solo. And today I really believe like over like probably like 2008, 2009, I do believe like they are full like co-founders with me because so much story uh, ha has happened. And, and uh, maybe at the start, I wouldn't share most of the, uh, of, of the problems that you had at a CEO level. Once you start sharing all the stuff that happens and things like that, and that probably happened when we raised capital in 2008, that, um, that all this stuff that happened that we had an investor and then they, they didn't come. And then all that, um, is, is really when they became full blown, which is Alvaro and Gustavo, which I asked my brother, who's the smartest guy that you could recommend me, uh, from your university? And this was Gustavo Victorica. Today, he was the CFO. Now he's the COO of the company. And he said, it's Gustavo. And I interview him. And, and this was just right out. He said economics. And, and I try to hire him right, right after school. And he, he, he let me down. He said, you know what? I'm going to go to, um, uh, I think it was, um, one of these, um, financial companies and, uh, but he like lasted six months there. And six months later, he called me and he said, you know what? I, I, I'd love to work with you. And, um, and he actually had done like a semester in Wharton and he, he didn't know this before, but, uh, when he went to Wharton, I had actually launched the business in 2002 and I told him, Hey, why don't you test out and buy a calling card? In, in Tarjetas Telefonicas. And he was the actually first customer of that business ever. Like the, the more, like the, the organic, uh, customer. And uh, when he came into the company months later or uh, more than a year later, then he realized, wait, I'm ID number three because I was ID number one and my programmer was, uh, no, I was ID number two. My programmer was ID number one and, and Gustavo was ID number three. As, as user ID. And, uh, and even today, since that database has, has kind of like the, the basis of Recargo Pay actually started with most of the code from Tarjetas Telefonicas. If you actually see the it. user ID of Rodrigo Tejero and Recargo Pay is number two. <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> That's great. I think, I mean, this is uh, the, the whole ethos of the podcast is to really tell the story of some magical people with, you know, that whole Joseph Campo hero's journey. And I think yours fits that whole ethos so perfect, you know, um, which, you know, like now you know, as we're talking about like the act three, the return basically. Right. And then I'd say that probably um, when is it that things uh, started working out with Ricardo? For those that don't know, they're listening for the first time. Maybe you want to talk a little bit more about what is Ricardo Pay? 
and it's a scale, right? You said, you know, over 250 employees and how much money you've raised. And I know that it wasn't easy. We had that whole conversation as well about the, about Miami. We'll get there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, tons of stuff. Uh, but, so, yeah. Yeah. So Ricardo Bay today is like, we're, we're doing over a billion dollars in, 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 in GTV, uh, over $50 million in revenue. We have 350 employees and uh, we've raised about $100 million in, in, in venture capital, basically. And uh, we share that we're uh, a beat that break even, which is kind of weird for fintech nowadays. But uh, it's a business that that uh, started basically by solving one very specific use case, which was allowing people to pay their mobile top ups in a website in 2010. In 2014, we allowed people to do that from a mobile app. Basically, that was accomplished by integrating directly to telcos, directly to choirs, and everything in the middle of the full stack of payments we develop internally. So we are gateway PCI compliant level one. We are we manage our KYC, the whole stack of, of, of payments. And through that, that, that use case and that capability of allowing people to pay uh, digital goods with credit card not present transactions, we added a whole array of different uh, uh, vertical. So now you can pay bills, you can pay public transportation, you can pay gift cards. And then we started layering on top financial services. So now you can pay all these things in installments. We lend you money. Uh, you, you have a subscription model that is working extremely well. And not only is it for consumers, but it's also for merchants. So Recarga Pay today is used by dozens of thousands of merchants in Brazil that if they if they have a small kiosk, let's say, and they want to have incoming traffic into their shop, they can put outside of their shop that they resell top ups and and Google Play and Netflix and bills and public transportation, and then that uh, store owner can resell it by using a recargo pay. We lend money to these merchants, and so the mission of the of the company has been to democratize mobile payments and financial services in Brazil. We started out the business by having this top up business in nine countries in Latin America. And in 2015, we doubled down and closed everything and went directly all in uh, with Brazil. So and today we're 100 percent Brazil focused and um, and and the business is 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 just growing tremendously at super scale that's awesome um and there was a point in time where uh you were like i'm not gonna live in argentina anymore i want to move to the u.s and um now you know i've been here for 12 years in in the u.s three colorado nine in san francisco and uh, three weeks in miami <laughs> so uh, well, how is the decision, uh, you know, to go to Miami versus uh, other parts of the U.S.? Because the Miami when that that you moved to, it was very different than the Miami of today. We were even talking about the food traffic in in Brickell. Right? Like I bump into San Francisco people here now. <laughs> yeah. Well, the situation of moving it was like in 2014 when I realized after like spending 30 years in Argentina, having studied economics and trying to figure out why countries grow and, and, and things of sort, realizing that it was becoming a lost case in uh, Argentina. And, and I was seeing that it wasn't going to be able to turn around the situation in Argentina. 
And I said, you know what? Um, The conversations with friends, it was always very depressing. Uh, Everything that you saw that the government did every single week was completely the opposite that should have happened. Uh, There was more violence happening in the streets. And it was extremely frustrating, uh, basically, to, to be in Argentina. But we had a business that was all across Latin America at that time. And we had nine countries in, in Latin America, but also a big chunk in Brazil. So the logic, if I left Argentina, it made sense to go to Brazil. But being an entrepreneur and, and, and having a family, being an entrepreneur, a husband is is already complex, right? I mean, it's 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 a lot of time of work and and stress and things of sort. Moving my family to Brazil in a different culture in a city like São Paulo, uh, I thought it was too harsh on my family. So then I started thinking, what if I move to the U.S. Uh, in in a sense? And um, and when I when I started thinking about the U.S. It was actually just like three cities. It was either New York, San Francisco, or Miami. And I actually really started looking into uh, the, the, the pros and cons of, of each city. And uh, I realized, well, first, New York and San Francisco, crazy expensive. Um, then San Francisco, super far away from everything, like if I wanted to work uh, with Argentina uh, and Brazil, time zone was an issue. The airport in San Francisco is not great. And um, I think the airport is great. The issue is that you don't have direct flights everywhere. I actually think SFO is better than than, than Miami, the Miami airport. And Miami airport takes you everywhere. But uh, uh, yeah. Uh, it's just it, at least for, for me, I don't know. The Wi-Fi and SFO is awesome, and it, and and the, and the terminals they all look like co-working spaces. So it's literally you get there, it's just a bunch of people getting shit done. Miami, I mean, in the amount of fist fights that I've seen sometimes. <laughs> at the Miami then, then, the other, then the other thing that I saw in San Francisco also is that it was a very early bird society. I mean, and and oh, yeah. I'm, I'm more of a night owl. And at the same gotcha. time, I also saw a very boring um, uh, society. Like there wasn't anything to do at night, uh, honestly. Uh, oh the, yeah, the, the, that is yeah. You it's all it's all about hiking uh, and uh, cycling, and then the parties that are allegedly cool in San Francisco. I can say that as having lived there for nine years. For me. They're just super fucking weird. I mean, I honestly, like, this is a whole thing. You know, uh, I never understood why these like, these people love Burning Man so much. Uh, I don't know if you, I mean, and I, look, like, I even got to a point where I had tickets to go to Burning Man. And then I sold them uh, for a profit. I, I wanted to go. Off, I, ne- but... I never went. I never went. It's something that, uh, I, just... that I have, something that I, uh, I wanted to test out. But the, the issue was... I, I... The other issue was that probably if, if uh, again, thinking like these different cities, if, if I didn't have a girlfriend, I wouldn't go to San Francisco. I mean, and uh, probably if I didn't have a girlfriend, I would, I would probably go to New York um, or, or Miami. If I had a girlfriend, I would probably go to, I, w- I wouldn't mind and go to San Francisco. But if I had kids, 
going to San Francisco with kids like uh, or New York because like six months in a year be super cold and uh, and to live well in any of these uh, cities you got to be filthy rich uh, so I the, the combination came down to okay I'm married I have my kids uh, what's the soft landing that that I could do time zone airport um, uh, weather you know my wife didn't like cold much so I mean Miami kind of fit the bill I also realized that a, a ton of friends and people come by Miami just insane and also saw insane. that I insane. have hosted four people in three weeks I didn't have my furniture here and I already had an air bed in the den of the apartment uh, that is great because in nine years in San Francisco maybe I hosted four friends here in three weeks I've hosted four friends yeah look it's it's a city that's very connected uh, with Latin America it, it has really good access and um, It's it's the place I found here in Kibiscane is also fantastic. And my kids go in their bikes to school. Uh, everything is close by. I kite surf. I can kite from from the beach. Uh, I live basically on on, on the beach. Uh, I can do sports. Just I finish work and I go directly and I do an hour, uh, an hour of sports every day of something, either my bike or soccer or kite or walk. Uh, or tennis, and uh, it's just been something that that has allowed me, in a sense, being here, of just thinking that I could actually pursue this this life of as an entrepreneur for many many years, you know, and uh, because it comes down to the point where uh, how can you balance uh, the the life in a sense, right? And I think that. Once you're an entrepreneur, you realize that balancing is almost is, is impossible, but you should never try to stop and balance it. You, you should never you should always try to do it right, uh, because um, sometimes you get too obsessive uh, with things and uh, you got to figure out uh, um, how to manage stress, anxiety, uh, challenging moments. And with time, I've, I've just learned to do a whole bunch of stuff, right? So I started meditating. I do yoga every week. I do sports every single day. Um, oh, dude, you got, we got to do a yoga class together that I've been doing. Yeah. And uh, if Brickle Keys is not that far away from you, but I met in, in my building, this Brazilian teacher, amazing. Uh -huh. It's the best yoga class I have ever done. But I'm happy to go to Kibi Skin and do yoga with yeah. you as well. I just, yeah. uh, yoga has been transformational for me. It's fantastic. And uh, I actually did it when I was in L.A. in in 2003 for the first time with, 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 with my girlfriend back there, my wife today. And I actually stopped doing it once I left uh, Los Angeles. And I, I started it again like, uh, last, like last year. And I had started meditating like seven, eight years ago. But yoga is even more complete in, 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 in a sense. In, in, in the sense of, of, of uh, the combination of it's like a meditation and, and it's great for, for your body for stretching. And uh, I don't know, I just love it. And uh, it, it, it makes a big difference uh, for my For me as well. Since there are days you wake up, you want to assassinate the world and then it yeah. puts you at ease and you're yeah. like, no, become, yeah, yeah, integrate, definitely. surrender. <laughs>
So, so Miami has been has been awesome in, in in that front. But of course, five years ago when I came here, the problem with Miami was that I would tell people I'm in Miami, and they would there were just like two two faces, or or you're retired, they would say, oh, oh you're you retired, or you're out to party every day. It's like, yeah, send me a picture of your purple Lambo, bro. Yeah, it's like <laughs> there, there was no alternative, and, and it was just weird, you know, in, in a sense, and. And, and, you know, like I shared before, I actually started the business remote, right? I was in Los Angeles. I had a team of program, Ukraine programmers in Ukraine, customer support in Argentina. So for me, like all the, the condiments for, for, for remote work have been in place for, for a long time now. And, um, and, and, and for me, it just, I, I thought I could pull it off, but. It, it clearly was an issue when raising capital. I, I realized like the business was doing fantastic unit economics, growth and everything. But once they heard like I was in Miami, it was like, hmm, that's kind of weird. Uh, and, and I think that the pandemic has really like changed the mindset of like the, the, the most uh, stringent people that didn't believe that was possible. And people have realized that people can still be productive, sometimes even more productive uh, by, by, by being remote. And, um, and now it's just like, it's gone mainstream, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I do think that uh, the, the beautiful thing is that Miami is by far the best place in the, in, in, in the U.S. today to live a post-pandemic life, the hybrid life. Because you have incredible people and interesting things to do offline and then you can continue to be connected globally and you are a flight away from anywhere that kind of matters uh, of that you would be that it would be a place of business, specifically if you're doing business between the US and Latin America with maybe you know a little bit of Europe here and there. Um, I am I am really excited. And honestly, like the sun has changed my mood. Just nature in general. We have incredible nature in in California. And, you know, I still have a place in Palo Alto. We still have offices there. But, uh, you know, I, I'm not even sure when I'm going to go there again. I know. I mean, I, I will be there in August. But uh, in, in a sense, it's like I don't want to leave. I really enjoy being here. And the heat doesn't annoy me at all. I mean, maybe we're just getting started because it's May. <laughs> Look, I, I thought the heat was going to be very annoying, and I'm I'm completely used to it. And and honestly, the only moment that that, that is warm really is like May, June, July, and like at noon. But since I live close to the beach, you know, after five p.m. is like perfect. You can do anything. Um, of course, you're not going to play soccer or any sports at noon because you're just melt in uh, those times. But um, I, I think it's just a an amazing gem that people are starting to realize and, and people, you know, it's like, uh, again, going back to my sister that studied in Stanford and then she moved to New York, super New Yorker. Uh, you know, she's, she was living there for 10 years and, and, and she would think like, no, New York, you know, intellectual conversations, art, culture. And when she would think about Miami, she would say like, you know, it's, there's nothing there. You know, it's just a party and, and that's it. But once you realize there's way more, interesting people in Miami than, 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 than people actually realize and, and, and come to the fact that now she moved here to Miami. So, <laughs> and, 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 yeah, yeah. and she was going to come for a couple of months and now she's staying until the end of the year. And, uh, so, so, you know, 
I, I think that what Miami has is this conversion ratio, you know, that is just incredible. People come for a week, then they come for a month, and then they stay a little bit longer. And they said, you know, I could actually live here. And, and that's what's the interesting th thing about the Magic City today is, is, is that it has high conversion, high retention. Absolutely. Oh, that is a great high note for us to end uh, our conversation. There's just so much more. Uh, but you know, Rodrigo, I again, I really appreciate your your honesty and 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 and, and heartfelt sincerity. This was a wonderful chat, uh, and you know, I know how precious your time is. So I thank you so much for 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 the time here. No, and thank you, Pedro, for inviting me. It was it was a pleasure to have this conversation with you, and 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 and, and hopefully, the way I've learned, you guys have learned something from from experience. I, I I've just always enjoyed so much hearing from other entrepreneurs. And, uh, and if I can help in, 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 in seeing all the errors I have also, also committed and just keep on going, that makes all the difference, right? <laughs> Thank you, man. Take care. Un abrazo. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode with Rodrigo. Uh, for those watching on YouTube, we are available on all major podcasting platforms. I now understand why all these uh, producers and content creators continue to ask for people to subscribe and do a little thumbs up because that does really help. So if you feel like we're adding value to your life in one way or the other, help us spread the word and talk a little bit more about what we are doing. Um, there is also another channel called Inevitable Clips where we just have episode highlights. Yeah, it's really cool. You can even build your own playlist of a little, you know, if you've missed a few episodes and you don't want to listen to the entire episodes all the fucking time. Um, but anyway, want to stay in touch, hit me up on Twitter uh, or any of the other platforms. I'm Pedro Sorin everywhere. And uh, see you on the next episode. Thank you. <laughs>